Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to maintain a 0.5 ABV throughout the entire episode. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Dave Gurney. I am here with... I accept your challenge. It's me, Joe Hilliard. And Carlos Cooper. And we're here this week to discuss beer and movies, and we have a great pairing, I think, uh, at least in terms of the uh, connection between the film and the beer in the first half of this episode. Carlos, what is that beer we're going to have? Well, this is the premium lager out of Copenhagen, uh, the only Danish export, I believe, that we get here. This is, Yeah, at least widely distributed. Uh, I don't yeah, know. this is Carlsberg. I know them most from sponsoring the kit of uh, different football clubs. I feel like that's where I've is seen. Is that right? Uh, is I, I, that I, the Danish? I think one of their football. I, no, team? I think they sponsor an English team. Um, okay, but I feel like that's where I've seen the logo is on the front of a kit. I don't remember who I'm thinking of off the top of my head. Um, you know, it, it it's a standard lager. It's five percent, so uh, just barely did enough to. Um, not be considered water. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it says by Carlsberg Breweries in Fredericia, Denmark. There you go. So that is uh, two FNA, man. foreign beers in about four or five episodes. Our trend, we're trending up on foreign beers. Yeah, not, not a usual for the show. But, you know, I got to say, given the uh average abv of the show sometimes it's nice to get into something a little lighter like this especially to kick things off well keep a more coherent second half of the episode and for the film it makes perfect sense given what at least their initial goal why would we raise a beer to denmark tonight well we're we're watching our first well i should have checked this but i think this is our first danish film that we have seen uh, together or or discussed together i believe you're correct yeah Uh, um, we're of course we're talking about Thomas Vinterberg, uh, recent winner of the Academy Award for is it foreign language film? Is that what we're calling it now? Film. International. Yeah. That's what we used to call it. Now we call it international. Right. right. Uh, this film that won last year, the previous year by Parasite, of course. Correct. So I mean, the following, and you know, is this an excellent film? The way we think Parasite is excellent. It just won the Oscar. Let's check it out. It's available on Hulu right now. Right. It's called Another Round. No. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and Joe, do you want to yeah, fill us to. in on the basic premise? Yeah, you mentioned it's directed by Thomas Vinterberg. He's the director of the second film that we'll be discussing a little bit later today. Uh, double Vinterberg episode. Yes, double V. Uh, and it, the plot synopsis is really simple, actually. Four Danish men... They're all school teachers together. Embark on a pseudoscientific quest to see <laughs> if drinking daily, and they've got a specific goal of trying to maintain. You referenced it, David, a .05 blood alcohol content level percent percentage. Yeah. Um, and if they drink daily, will that kind of pull them out of, you know, a slump that maybe some or all of them are in, as at least one of them has turned forty the occasion to have his birthday party where there's some premium liquors and beers and wines consumed. Mm-hmm. Uh, our protagonist, played by Mads Mikkelsen, M- Mikkelsen, you know him as the bad guy in Quantum Solace. He also plays Hannibal on the TV series. I thought it was Casino Royale. I know is it's it? one of the Bond films. Yeah, you're right. It might I be Casino Royale. I was going to say, I think Royale. it's Casino Royale because I remember 
very specifically hating Quantum of Solace. Yeah. And I don't harbor a negative feelings towards Mad Mickelson. Yeah. Well, I, I think it was the first one, but you're right. Yeah. And also, connection to one of our recent episodes, famous for playing the character Hannibal Lecter yeah. on yes. the television The television series. show. Right. That's, that's where I know him from the most. And he's attached to the new upcoming Indiana Jones project. Ooh, oh, that's right. Wow. I heard that. So he, he must wants, be a villain. Uh, so he doesn't want to have... He, he pretty much only plays villains. But he, other than in Danish films. <laughs> he, he's our protagonist in this film. Right. The film spends the most time looking at his story. And his story is of a high school teacher that once had a big promising career who's kind of fallen into, like I said, a slump. He's not motivated right. at his work. He, he and his wife's relationship is kind of on the blink. And a they, lot of parallels to nobody. In a, in, a, in a funny way, it, at least in terms of the basic setup. Yeah, this guy yeah. in middle age seemingly doing this kind of monotonous life that he just doesn't have any passion for anymore. So after kidding around that that would be a fun little thing to do, the four of them take a pact to just drink during the day. There's rules. It ends at 8 p.m. Right. No weekends. No so weekends. So it's while during their work days, right. essentially. Yeah. And that's where the film is a launching point for, I think, some probably pretty interesting conversation. Yeah, I mean, it as a premise, it it struck me as funny when I when I first heard about it, and then I I kind of scratched my head and I'm like, okay, but how does that actually play out? What do, what do you do with this film? And I saw it was being described as both comedy and drama, right? Um, yeah, you it, thought you might you might be getting into like The Hangover or something, like well, that's four it. guys or, getting drunk and or sideways hijinks. I mean, I I guess I, I guess my mind went a little bit more towards that. Like that's seems... not what the film is. Although there's little hints and pieces of of comedy throughout the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't suspect I wouldn't suspect the Danes to be capable of a hangover. Hmm. Uh, at least not a little too in, much yeah. sophistication in their filmmaking at large yeah I think, I d- and uh, that, that's not a criticism right I mean you're, you're no I'm, yeah. it's a criticism of the hangover okay, it's a, right. a criticism of the American studio system I mean there is a time and place for a film like that though anyway, not three that, that's them. another episode but no probably not three and certainly not yeah to fuel a franchise but no this is something different you're right both of you were right um, you know th- this film I think so I'll I'll go ahead and start talking here. I mean, I thought this was fantastic. I mean, I really, like I said, I was intrigued by the premise. I mean, it seems a little trivial on the surface, but then you're like, oh, but I know that's going to get into some stuff. And it really does become this kind of exploration of life and I think aging and, and where you're going. I mean... I, it's a film that's definitely directed at me. <laughs> you know, here I am in my 40s. And, uh, you know, not that I feel that I've settled into a humdrum existence, but I, I'm totally aware of that potential, right? I'm totally aware. And I'm aware of people around me who seem to be experiencing that and all that. So I see this thing. And I'm also totally aware of people using alcohol mm-hmm. to, to change their mood. Here we are on a podcast. If we hadn't covered this film, what kind of podcast would we be? Yeah. Um, so it was tailor made. Yeah, but I, but I think ultimately the execution on this is just about pitch perfect. Where there is the comedy of what it does for these guys. I mean, the the film kind of goes through various stages, right? Mm-hmm. When they first launch this pact. And, and they go through with it. It's sort of ridiculous that they would even do it. And you're kind of laughing like, how could they possibly? It's and the, the kind of dumb thing that might erupt from a really fun drunken night the night before. Right. But that would fizzle after. You wouldn't, you know, follow through. But these guys do. Yeah. And then seeing how it actually starts shifting their lives, that initial, you know, sort of segment of the film, 
is them reigniting, right? All of them have kind of grown a little bit stale in their own ways, and it reinvigorates their teaching methods. It reinvigorates how they interact with people. They're more open to interaction. The things that alcohol does for us, right, at parties or what, you know, like at social lubricant. It's kind of this thing that gets things going. Yeah, we all know introverts that have a couple of beers at a party, and they, they feel more comfortable letting their tongue flow, and some of those are the best conversations you could probably have at that party from people that may not speak otherwise that's true absolutely absolutely and you see some emergence i think in a couple of the guys as as they get going you see him like immediately get back into his teaching yeah and connecting with the students about their alcohol use and alcohol as a prop in instruction which makes sense because the drinking age is such in denmark that these you know senior high school students would be of their drinking age. So it is kind of a funny switch to have to make, though. There are a few yeah. scenes where, as an American watching it, I'm thinking, oh, this is, fu- oh, no, it's okay there. You're like, yeah. You couldn't have a teacher talking that blatantly about the kids drinking, no. you know, in off-school time. What is it, 16 time. there? I don't know if it's 16 or 17, but either way, I mean, they're, yeah. it, it's clearly an accepted thing that these kids are going to be out doing this stuff. In fact, the film starts with this, kind of over-the-top sequence of them doing this race, the kids, the, yeah. the high school students around this lake, um, that then cuts to, well, well the keep credits. going. They have to finish a case of beer among right, partners right. at various stops around the lake. Yeah, so a typical, like, drinking up, game points deducted, sort of thing for them getting over the top. But the point is that then you cut to this faculty meeting where they're talking about, oh, what are we going to do about the kids drinking? It's getting out of control. But not like, these kids can't drink. They need to be, you know, like, it's it's a different tone than you would get yeah. in American films. So you you kind of have to adjust to that. But once you do, yeah, he's having these frank discussions. It it turns him into somebody who's actually looking for new ways at looking at historical figures, right? He comes in and does that mm-hmm. great lesson with the, like, he describes these world leaders uh, involved in World War II by their character traits and saying, who would you most align with or who would you want to see in charge? Elect, yeah. And they end up picking Hitler, Hitler because yeah. he was a vegetarian, animal Tee-toter. lover, all this, yeah. you know, like, Sober. he had positive attributes that if yeah. you decide to focus on those. Yeah. yeah. And the rest were kind of, he at least descri- paints them in a light of being drunks or whatever. You know? Yes, churches. And uh, Roosevelt, yes, yeah. philanderers, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that show was brilliant. <laughs> it is, and, yeah. it, and it, I know it's a tactic that history teachers use from time yeah. to time. Yeah. But he he stumbles upon that or brings it into his teaching, and that's a way of. So it's wonderful. You get that first segment where it's like it really is improving their lives in in this way to maintain this little, and even in the off hours, right on the weekend, it seems to boost their mood a little bit too. At least him on his camping trip with his family, yeah, you, you kind of get that, yeah. Um, but well, it does take it, but, a turn. But to get to the camping trip he developed this kind of lust for life and reconnection with his spouse that we've seen throughout the film he is disconnected from right right and so then you know we get to this point where if it's this good at point oh five couldn't it be even a little bit better shouldn't we at least experiment to see if we go up a little bit if it doesn't maybe even increase our productivity and and in a way it's the name of the film another round (laughs) another round keep it going right you know um, so, so, you know, it's like, uh, well, it's a classic human tale, right? It's like, here, here's something that we can do that is good and positive and we can, but we can never just do the good and positive thing. We have to do it more and more and more until it gets out of control. And then we've, you know, run ourselves into the ground. Would it more be better? <laughs> right, right. Um, except this film doesn't actually land there either, right? I mean, we do get the downfall of this program in various mm-hmm. ways. The characters all kind of suffer in various ways. And then some very 
profound suffering uh, on the part of one of the characters that I don't know. How did you guys feel? Did did that sort of build naturally, organically to you out of that character, Tommy? Yeah. Uh, it didn't necessarily, but it was one of those things where when we got to that point, I thought back on the scene where uh, a, I think it's a janitor, if I'm not mistaken, discovers his yes, hidden bottles yep, of liquor. Yep. And it seems like he had been doing that before this pact. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Because there was several. Right. And Yeah, he's so, always the one that's the most eager to, to go on with the experiment. Yeah, yeah. And, and so and so once, you know, we kind of get to the emotional climax of the film, I believe, which, spoiler alert, one of the friends dies. Yeah. Um, then I thought back and I was like, oh, yeah, I they, hit, they told us this. Yeah. In a way, they told us that this guy was the most vulnerable and the most like in trouble. Yeah. Without telling it to us. Yeah. But and so then it so then it made a lot of sense. But up in the scene where he comes in stumbling to the staff meeting, at first to me that kind of came out of left field a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, wait, whoa, this. Yeah. 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 Um. But then you know, and that's you know, to kind of speak more not necessarily a plot or theme or anything, but just like a Danish perspective to filmmaking or a, a Danish approach to filmmaking. I feel like one thing that I like about it, or at least who I've seen, um, that also kind of makes it a little difficult at times is the Danes seem to have this absolutely unwavering trust in their audience to the extent where they will tell you little to nothing in, in terms of exposition. And, being conditioned the way that I have as an American moviegoer, mm -hmm. even films that are considered like artsy or like highbrow or sophisticated still give us exposition. Yeah. In ways that a lot of Danish filmmaking does, or at least again, what I've seen doesn't. Mm -hmm. And, and they really, I mean, they really just show you some things and then are like, they'll put it together. They'll figure it out. Yeah. And so that was kind of a little bit of that moment where like, Leonardo DiCaprio's version of this will have some moment of exposition like, oh, Tommy's not doing so good. And then he'll walk into the meeting stumbling and whatever. Yeah. Whereas this movie does not do that. No. It just does it. And then you have to be like, wait, how did we get here? And yeah. go back yourself and think about it. Well, and, they, and they're kind of shocked by it, too. I mean, they, yeah. they don't right. they don't really expect that he's going to continue on and get worse and, mm -hmm. and, you know, sort of deepen the spiral there. It, yeah, you're right, Carlos. I think that there is a certain kind of restraint or a willingness to hold some things back that I think for the benefit of the story in the sense that, well, the other characters don't know either, right? He's been yeah. hiding it from them all along that this stuff has been going on. The only thing I questioned, I think, with, with his character was I didn't know how I felt about the whole uh, him coaching the little kid's soccer team. I, I felt like those moments kind of veered into this something a little bit more kind of... Uh, on the nose, sentimental. I think. That, I think his death is on the nose, sentimental too. <sighs> maybe, See, maybe. Yeah, the but these are not arc. strike one and strike two against this film. At no, all. I love the film. I'm not. I'm the, not at all. But I'm just questioning those scenes. I it, felt like the most manipulative to me. It where, works for me. Yeah, yeah in a big it, way. It, it didn't not work. It was just very apparent of what they were trying to work. But it kind of works. And I think to Carlos's point, we are seeing something, and you're going to. I hope 
when you watch the international film nominees or winners, something a little bit different because we're coming from a different perspective. And the Danish perspective in this film, and as the point you made, David, earlier about the kids' younger drinking age is so important. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to go back to that, uh, the kids, uh, the race around the lake and how uh, well it was shot and tonally delivered Mm -hmm. uh, and set up in an American audience, or at least me, for our attitudes about portraying alcohol on film at this age level and then the 40-year-old age level is we give our citizens more respect by allowing them to make their own choices rather than a puritanical version of things where if we're going to have a drinking abuse movie, and we, we bandied around maybe, you know, I, I kind of said, let's not do Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah. That's just yeah. two on the nose. <laughs> and I'll, and it the, feels uh, wrong to drink along to it. but <laughs> Well, because that's the alcoholic portrayal R- in American right, cinema. Right. Yeah, sure. It is, it's uh, one of them. Yeah. And these guys, I don't know if they're alcoholics or not. They, you know, our, our lead yeah. was, was, wasn't a big drinker no, prior to no. this. Um. Uh, but 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 that scene, and then the idea of it, it, it hitting me a little bit too, David, as I'm in my 40s as well. So I think for me, the most interesting part is my rationalization or attempting to rationalize in my mind, you shouldn't do this. This is a horrible idea. Yeah, yeah. First and foremost, your employer has got to have strict rules as a teacher, right. professor, about drinking on the job. So, yeah. I mean, all the risks involved, yeah. the, 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 the risk of drunk driving, etc. And then I realized that drinking really isn't the point. It's just the tool used to what is the ingredient for someone who can look back at the kids who are just drinking, carefree, nothing matters. Mm-hmm we're in the prime of our lives and don't even realize it mm-hmm. to the responsibility of the responsibilities that drinking puts on you in the decision-making process to do it. Mm-hmm. You, I, no, no, I've had enough. I need to be driving. You know, yeah. those kinds of things that the three of us I know are, are important to us that we, that every, everything's fine in moderation, but this is purposeful non-moderation. And if it, if they took alcohol out, what is that missing thing that can re-spark your, your interest in your, profession or your marriage or any relationship that you have this is a very existential film i mean mm-hmm. I, I it it, it it's, it's not a comedy but i was laughing and it's it's not exactly a drama but there's some fantastic dramatic moments the the performances are all i think top notch mm-hmm. incredible there is a little bit of sentimentality that's kind of woven in that americanizes it if you will to in my opinion i, yeah. I would like to have not seen those things but as i said there aren't strikes primarily so with the i Tommy really recommend this yeah. movie very yeah. good movie i specs at the end like when yeah tommy's coffin is loaded into the car and he yeah. like comes forward that one got me yeah yeah tommy I, tommy's relationship with specs was i think great i i I love that shit i yeah i mean i think calling him specs too like i just didn't like i thought this is parody but not parody there was i don't and i'm not at all like it was it worked well enough that i got through it but i didn't get pulled in because i felt like it was too obvious a manipulation i'll be manipulated i mean i i cry at all all kinds of films but that didn't quite get me because it felt i don't know it was like too much too much yeah. yeah, anyway. The, 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 that is a 
for me, I just want to make it clear, a small criticism, because I think, Joe, what you just said is exactly right. This is a film about drinking, yes, but really it's a film about what is it that you live for? What do you, you know, what drives you? Um, to what extent, you know, are you able to connect with other people on a daily basis mm. and being sort of predisposed to that? And what? how do we use these things like alcohol to... it? I mean, I think it was fascinating on so many levels. But as I said before, what I think what I love most about the film is it doesn't just turn into this film that casts judgment on this endeavor, drinking, doing this kind of thing. It it more has, has this removed because you get the coda of, yes, Tommy has killed himself, essentially, right? I mean, let's, he he's decided that, that life is too hard. It's, it's not going to work. Well, he loses his job. I mean, he's... Yeah, you know, I mean, he... He's on the balls of his ass. And he he decides that it's it's time to end it, and and that's it. But that doesn't end the film, right? The film ends with uh, with Mads uh, Martin, right, his uh-huh. character, and, and and his two remaining friends, sort of meeting up uh, somewhat spontaneously after the funeral with this crew of their senior students who are celebrating the excitement at the end of the school year, graduation. Um, They're getting ready to go out, it looks like, maybe on a boat and have like kind of a booze cruise. They're drinking all the way there. And they join them in this riotous celebration that is some of the most fun that I've seen on film in a long time, up to and including Mads Mikkelsen's, uh, I think, extraordinarily good dance yeah. towards the end of the yeah. film, which is just a lot of fun to see and a weird note. I mean, weird in the sense that you I don't think... feel manipulated by that? Oh, you're completely In the right way. In the right way, because I'm happy that it leaves me feeling happy <laughs> because this is a film that could have left me totally devastated. Well, they pulled the trigger. And it doesn't want to do that. They pulled the trigger back when, it, at the very first conversation. Yeah. Of, well, and and the messages from his wife. Yeah. Well, no, but the very first conversation about we should do this thing, and they're drunk at that mm. uh, birthday dinner, and it's you know revealed to the audience the things they already know that he was a dancing, uh, he was a dance student, yeah, right, and had a history of dance, and, and they then give him a hard they time kind of that, yeah. that, so that's you know setting the trap. What is and the, at the end he has reinvested himself in a dance, even if it's just one celebratory dance now, but he's gone back to it. He has found that thing. The text messages with the wife gives you all a sense of hope. Yeah. And, you know, it's a nice little package, fun little journey. I I fucking loved his dance at the end. Yeah. When when he got there, I was like, yes, this is what I, this is what I, I've been waiting for was to see him really let go and unleash in like a not depressed way. He gets that moment in the faculty meeting or when, which ends very tragically in a, in a way when yeah. he hits his head yeah. on the door frame. Yeah. Uh-huh. But like as he dances through that room going around getting his coffee and all that stuff, yeah. that was a pretty marvelous. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was really good too. Yeah. I mean, he's great in it. And looking back on it now, I realize that I've, because I was trying to think, because I, I never watched Hannibal, um, and I was trying to think what I had seen him in, um, but he was in the um, uh, fucking, Jesus, fuck. I, uh, <laughs> Rogue One, sorry. Oh, okay. He was okay. in Rogue One. Oh, that's right, um, yes, yeah. And um, you were right about Casino Royale, it was that one, and then Charlie Countryman, I, I totally forgot that he was in Charlie Countryman. Which I didn't was, see that. I really like, it was a Shia LaBeouf like kind of indie movie when he was like really like fucked up and like 
in a weird place. Like that was one of those movies that where he took the method thing too far. And there was a scene where his character was on acid. So we actually dropped acid and then shot the scene, uh, kind of situation. Yeah. But, uh, he's a, he, guess what? He's a bad guy. <laughs> um, yeah. Pretty much anytime you see him in English language, which he speaks well, but he has an accent. So he does. Yeah. Yeah. I've which, never seen yeah. him try to play another national, like an American with an American accent. That, yeah. 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 That would be interesting. Uh, it would be, but he's marvelous. I mean, he's great. It, the, the, he he is fun to watch. This film uses him to, I think, great ends. Um, this totally deserves. I haven't seen all the films in the category. I suppose I should at least give. But this feels like a very deserving winner. It is curious now that it sounds like we are going to get this American remake. Leonardo DiCaprio, right? His at least his production company, or do you think he's, he's starring? In he's going to star in it. Yeah. Um, you know, that stuff can change. It's not yeah. like but, currently he's attached right. to star in it. But uh I don't know. You're probably right. I feel like I feel like this is poised to be one of those um force majeure uh downhill kind of tra- translations. I feel there is little to nothing that you can do to this movie that is going to be satisfying in a remake capacity. Uh, Unless they somehow hit that mix of tones that this thing has, which American audiences don't tend to want. They don't tend to want. How are you going to do it as far as like the relationship with the students? I mean, at best you put him as a college professor instead of, I put it exactly in that category of force majeure. When we watched the two of the films together, downhill, this American remake, we, all three agreed that force majeure is, is superior. Because force majeure is great. Yeah, and therefore yeah. unnecessary to be redone. Unless with Will Ferrell and Julie, Julia Louis-Cyphus. Dreyfus. her name is. <laughs> we're good. Cypher. We're going <laughs> to. Respect on her name. Seyfried. We're going to. Uh, these Frankensteinian. Uh, uh, up the funny and make it completely di- different. Yeah. And they don't. So, yeah. I, I, again. See, it, that's. See, that's and the that's tone ex- here works. What are we going to do differently? Yeah, and if that, we can't, let's not do it. That's the thing about Downhill is they should have committed to just a comedy right. and, have it, and have it be inspired by Force Majeure or like, you know. Um, it tried to like retain that. too much of it without really being able With, to do it. It tried to retain a lot of the original without ever actually committing to retaining the original. Yeah. Our you know downhill I mean? episode's fantastic. You should, yeah, right. it you should is. go it listen is. to it. And, you know, I don't want to sound like get off my lawn or anything. I hope that the American remake is good. I hope it's yeah, good. sure, sure. But... This movie is great. Yeah. And, and so I And don't it's hard and for many reasons that we talked about during our review, there's reasons why it doesn't seem like this would easily translate. You have to change some things that would really change the whole dynamic of it. But I also we'll just see. don't need that. Like it's like, you know, last year at the Oscars when Bong Joon Ho gave his acceptance yeah. speech. If you can just get over that w- one inch tall barrier yeah, of subtitles, yeah. like get you know. I know. It, well, and to that end, listeners, if you haven't already watched this film, yeah. it, I mean, it's if you have Hulu, it's free, so there's no it, reason not. to. That's true. It's included in your Hulu subscription at this point, so you don't have to shell out extra money if you're already doing that. Yeah. But even if you don't have it, do the trial subscription or cash that in or create maybe a new email address it. because. <laughs> Cash it this in. to me is is well worth your time. Yeah. Um, and I agree. But like Bong says, don't let that little, you know, sort of one inch of your screen bother you so much that, you know, it, it keeps you from seeing good storytelling unfold. Yeah. Yeah. So we we saw a great film, um, an exciting film. We were drinking our first Danish beer along with that. 
um, Carlsberg. It is a classic, right? Carlsberg I mean, Caverns. One of these old. <laughs> <laughs> Carlsbad, isn't yeah, it? Carlsbad. It's Carlsbad. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's like the Julie Louis Seifert thing. <laughs> oh, there we go. This, that's that. This that's is that's the, the title that's of the episode, the, isn't Julie it? Yeah, Louis Seifert. <laughs> well, I've had this beer before. Yeah. Because I am a member, a proud member B&J's of the B and J's Import Club. Club. Oh. And when I first moved back and before the craft beer explosion, it, it was mostly imports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so on when you're trying to do this, where when you get to twenty five, fifty, a hundred, you get a t shirt or a sticker or a patch or a jacket. Yeah. You blow through these beers. So I've had this beer before. Uh-huh. I don't remember one damn thing about it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's one of those European lagers yeah. that isn't my favorite style. It's not yeah. the style I'm ever really gonna go to just because there's a new one at the uh, at the tap. Right. That said, this is as enjoyable as any other European lager. Not better, yeah. not worse, not horrible. Not as good as some of those, you know, smoothie sours we've been enjoying <laughs> recently. But uh, for the sake of raising a glass to Denmark, winner this year of the Academy Award for International Film, I'm glad that we enjoyed it. All right. This beer makes the rookie mistake of being housed in a green bottle. <laughs> it's true. It's pretty. It is. It's and a pretty I, but bottle. I think that's where the like flavor Heineken. goes wrong is that it gets light struck. It, it gets it, light struck. It, it, and I feel like, I mean, it's not profound in yeah. this case, but it's enough. For it to be just slightly off balance, I feel. That's a good point, um, Carlos. It's certainly not bad. I, I, I detect a little of what you're talking about. I mean, I, I think I, I'm definitely in Joe's camp in the sense that I'm happy to have drank this. I don't think I ever had had it before. I've mm-hmm. definitely seen it. I don't um, think I've had the, it before. The logo was familiar when I when I heard, you know, or when I looked it up and I was like, well, what can we get for Danish beer? And oh, this is it. Um, I, I, I knew of it. But I don't think I'd ever had it. I agree with you. It to me, it fits in with those kind of um, standard European lagers that are probably in each country their main, yeah. you know, flagship, like their Budweiser. Right. Um, they're you know rarely offensive. Rarely do I dislike them as much as I do some of the more standard domestic beers here, Budweiser included, mm-hmm. um, that that you can get in the American market. <gasps> the king of beer. But rarely do I ever think, oh, I need to get some Carlsberg right now. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Fine. And I was happy to visit. And yes. if I'm ever in Denmark, I have a feeling I would drink a lot of these. That's part of the fun, right? When you go sure. and you visit these places and you and it's go probably to the bars, fresh off the tap. Well, yeah, from down fresher, the street. for sure. And <laughs> probably not light struck because you're getting it in draft and, exactly. and it's in a keg. Yeah. So you're going to have the best experience drinking it in these bars um, over there. But it's nice, especially if you have a nostalgic connection, I imagine, to be able to pick this up in a six-pack uh, when you're here in the States. So I'm going to call this round a success. I think I don't so. Think there's any failure here at all. So should we up the stakes and... Do another round? We certainly should. <laughs> uh, I'm just pleased that we did this film, and in case you didn't hear us, you should check it out. Yeah. We'll talk more Vinterberg and Danish filmmaking, and a possibly, depending on which of the side of this podcast you're most interested in, beer and movie, a little-known or maybe very well-known cinematic movement.
And we're back! Whew, we sure are. Another round, guys? <laughs> well, I mean, that is the format of the podcast, so... Well, if you thought Denmark was a great pairing for the Danish winning Oscar film in the first half... Uh-huh. I'm gonna put my headphones on. <laughs> Uh, we've got Celebrator. Celebrator. How would you pronounce this? I don't know. I, I've I've always just looked at it and thought Celebrator. This is the finest. Oh. See, I would celebrator. say I would say Celebrator. 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 Not Celebrator or Celebrator. Well, it's got the O R. It, it, I want it to have E R to be Celebrator, but yeah. You, I don't think that's a word though. I don't know. I think that anyway. If we're trying to maintain a, <laughs> if we're trying to maintain a 5.0 blood alcohol during 0. this episode. A 5.0, right. we would be dead. <laughs> oh, then call 911. If we're trying, you're right, 0.05 uh, blood alcohol, then we're going up in ABV, 6.7. This is Eyinger's uh, Finest Bavarian Double Bock, the Celebrator, from... Um, Eying. From Germany. Yeah, it's from Bavaria, Germany. And, yeah, literally, uh, literally Bavaria, the town is called Eying, Eying, Yeah, yeah. Which is probably and why the brewery is called And this brewery, of course, has been owned and operated by the same family since 1878. Wow. Uh, Double Bach is a, a style we have not had much. 6.7%. I don't know if we've had any Double Bach on, on the show. Yeah, brewed kind of according a, to the Reinheitsgebot purity law of 1516. That, so, so it's a it, double. But it, you know, it's OG. Oh yeah, this is this is an OG beer. It's Michael would love this. It has won Mikel, it is from this movie. Won a ton right. of awards and is considered one of kind of the greatest one of those What was the beer we had? Samuel Smith? Yeah. Yeah, the, the and it was Smith. like god, there is just so much quality here. Yeah. There's so much uh history in this drink that they haven't really changed the recipe much of. And a little research I did on this, they haven't either. It's a Doppelbach double Bach. So it's going to uh, be a bigger, stronger version of those German-style um, Bach beers. Yes. Which Bach just means strong, right? That's probably right. I mean, it's it's usually, yeah, a darker lager. All right. Well, well th- they say, the brewery says, it's a rich, dark elixir with cascading layers of malt complexity balanced by elegant hops. You're gonna, you should, they elegant. say, toffee, caramel, dark malt roastiness, so uh, enjoy. It's dark. Yeah. Now, why, uh, why celebrator? Because we're going to have a celebration of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the very name of the film, yeah. right? So yeah, what we're talking about is Thomas Vinterberg's uh, nineteen ninety eight. Right, ninety-five. No, no, that's ninety-five is the year they came up with the the principles. Mm, You're right. It's ninety-eight. Yeah, ninety-eight is when this gets released, and we'll talk about those principles in a little bit here. But um, and we'll talk about what those principles pertain to, since that has not been said yet. No, that's right. But but this is part of a a movement, right? As Carlos kind of set us up in the first half, uh, as as we were coming into this, Uh, an attempt at making a film in a very specific way, but. The name of the film, The Celebration, marks that this is a film essentially the premise being that there is a man having his 60th birthday, his family is assembling at this large country estate that seems like it was probably a hotel or maybe is yeah, being I, run I, as a hotel I think still. it's being run as a hotel. It's a hotel. Um, but, but it's 
owned by the family. Yeah, you and can they tell they're wealthy and well to do. Operated by the family. Yeah. Absolutely. So, well, yes, operated, overseen, right? They have staff. Yeah. There's, so um, these people coming together who, as you will see in many families, in many family films at least, you know, people who do get along to some extent, people who don't. Um, there's lots of tension, lots of strife. Um, but what starts as kind of a typical dysfunctional family film really takes a dark turn once the um, the evening's meal starts with the uh, with the patriarch at the head of the table and people start giving toasts and and one of his sons reveals a very dark secret although there's question as to whether or not he's telling the truth and all that but uh, but you know reveals a, a skeleton in the family's closet that threatens to undo the entire affair. Yes, um, this is the first. Uh, installment in the dogma 95 movement mm-hmm. which probably we should talk about before we get yeah, in, really so? into the film okay i do and I, it, yeah, I'll, I'll say why in in a in a moment um so dogma 95 was a cinematic movement uh founded by thomas vinterberg who we have talked about this episode and lars von trier or trier however you want to say that and basically it was a reaction to the ever-growing, ever, the big-budget movies that were coming out at the time. There was a lot of... Though they also claimed that they didn't care about size of budget. Uh, they, they did. <laughs> they said that you could make a $100 million dogma film, and it wouldn't matter as long as you were following the principles. Sure, which how you would spend that much money no, following I, these principles I, is, uh, uh, well, would be a feat. But lots of, I mean, you know, we're talking about... 1995 is when this movement is kind of founded or at least conceptualized. Right. Documents and are drawn and presented to the a film manifesto going, yeah. and then uh, the a vows, vows of chastity, the, the, the 10 <laughs> vows of chastity. And I mean, you know, if you think about that time period, like we're two years outside of Jurassic Park, yeah. like, you know, there's lots of action movies coming out. Yeah. Um, we're only a few years away from Independence Day and Armageddon and, right. you know, some of these. And so basically they were like, rebelling against that to a certain extent and trying to strip filmmaking back to its very core principles of and values of just story acting theme and also how do we get attention for these small films that we're doing yeah that are we think revealing human truths but everybody's spending all the money and paying all the attention to these blockbuster films that have come to dominate in the 80s and into the early 90s. Which are fairly shallow, vapid affairs. To, right. I mean, yeah. and, and we we love them, and we've and talked about are. them on this program, yeah. but but we talked about... Our last episode was literally titled, Dumb Cinema's Here to Stay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and appropriately so, and there yeah. is a time and a place for that, but these guys were trying, I think, to make, an af- uh, make a case for, hey, there's worthy ideals here in terms of storytelling that people seem to have abandoned let's yes. let's try to get back to like you say character story mm-hmm. and letting the magic of yeah. human behavior kind of unfold yeah i mean excluding special effects mm-hmm. excluding props, anything well, ex- but ex- props. Ex- excluding a lot of interesting things which i can just reference real quick yeah. or if you want do i mean do we do we outline the 10 vows of chastity how about this how about, how about we talk about this film well, I don't know. No, well, because I, think... I want to ask a question. Okay. And that right. is, does the Dogma 95 purpose enhance or take away from or, you know, is the entire 
project a success. Yeah. Because it's under it's it's this is the first film. This is a good f- film to talk about that. That's too. officially released under this new idea that yeah. a couple of guys, several you know filmmakers had. And um, so, yeah, I think that you have to view this film through that lens. I, I don't know how you can't because... Well, I think you... Uh, I, I would argue the opposite. I would say we could easily review this film and not even mention Dogma okay, 95. Okay, well, you guys flip I a think, coin and no, take no, no, us no, no. a direction. But I'm, ju- I'm just... Want- <laughs> I'm fine with either way. I, 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 let's talk about Dogma 95, but I don't agree with that we need to view this film through the lens of Dogma 95 to have it be a worthy film to talk about. I think it's an interesting story. I think from story. an aesthetic purpose... Mm. I think the I think the average film goer watching this and the aesthetic of it would be baffled by yeah something's that wrong without knowing what Dogma is. Okay, but anyway, you might be right, but I think the thing we, that would baffle will, them the most is probably the one thing that actually isn't part of the principles. Well, once you read well, the tw- use of mini DV is what I'm talking about. Yeah, like yeah. they use a consumer grade camcorder we, to we, shoot this film. We will post a picture of the camcorder that this movie that i believe won the jury prize at con it won yes yeah so take that into consideration sure and then after listening blown to this, up to 35 go to yeah blown up to 35 that's, that's the principles actually dictate that it, it has, has to, to be, be on 35, 35. so uh, the finished version has to be 35 millimeter projected film and, yes. and the highlights of the tin you know uh, ambient lighting yeah you're not bringing lighting okay so real quick let me just say the 10 since we're going to start talking about them uh in some form or fashion shooting must be done on location props and sets must not be brought in uh sound must never be produced apart from the images vice versa um camera must be handheld film must be in color special lighting is not acceptable optical work and filters are forbidden the film must not contain superficial action which is the one that i wanted to mention the most which means murders weapons all that kind of stuff etc uh the movies have to be take place here and now no temporal or geographical uh alienation or is 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 allowed genre movies are not acceptable the film uh must be an academy 35 millimeter and the director must not be credited uh and, and <laughs> which uh, none of them so, adhere to i don't think. yeah so number two the sound must never be produced apart from the images or vice versa this is a big one because that means music must not be used right. unless it occurs within the scene so diegetic music only no soundtrack or score right. or licensed right. music or anything so like late that. so they have performers at the hotel in this film yes playing music for them we hear that music but there is never score played yeah. He, over yeah and he adheres to a lot of these although by his own admission he covered up a window for lighting <laughs> right, purposes right. which which he seems is like, credited as the director yeah uh and uh and again it wasn't shot 35 millimeter but it yeah. is screened that way right. and like like i said please look at our social media to get an idea i want i want us to post a picture of the camera that he well used to and shoot almost this, more it is importantly bananas. i mean screenshots from the film i mean you see it and it instantly especially i think to our eyes now where you know, we may be used to people making films cheaply using consumer model cameras now, but consumer model cameras have yes. so HD. Much, yeah, Childish <laughs> so, Gambino did that whole short film on his iPhone oh, to support Bob because of the internet. No. Right. Uh, it was no. a short film to promote because of the internet in 2014. Yeah. And well, and there's Tangerine. There's, I mean, yeah. there have been, well, we've, stupid Steven Soderbergh, Soderbergh movie, the High yeah. Flying Bird movie. Yeah. Hated we, So now, and I think we're comfortable knowing that they're 
making this film with these rules that they've created, which are all which least, they all break. They do, <laughs> they do in various ways, but you know the That's idea kind of part is of the fun, though, isn't it? let's bring it back to this you know very performance centered mm-hmm. kind of filmmaking story centered. We create great characters, we get great actors to inhabit them, we let them do their thing. There was. It's yeah. not in the principles, but for many of them, it was about a certain level of improvisation, letting the actors do as they wanted, being able to track them with the handheld cinematography, even mm-hmm. though they hadn't necessarily blocked the scene out entirely, that they were able to kind of move with the characters through the scene. These are very kinetic kind of films. I mean, this one is the first one. That movement, I think, especially for... I remember when I was seeing some of these films, which I didn't see this until a little bit later, probably the first Dogma film I saw was... It might have been Julian, Julian Donkey, Donkey Boy, Boy. To, be, to be honest. But, you know, I remember Friends at the time, and I saw Dancer in the Dark probably a little before that, which isn't a dogma film, but was coming right I, off of. It's not? No, I don't think he claims it is. It, maybe. I don't know. Well, there are, there are 20. Right. And um, there is a website. Well, we'll put, I think actually even 30-something. Okay, well, 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 they go up to 31, but if you... But then they said they, like... Anybody who's making by this principle can yeah. call their film a dogma film. And so if you care. go to yeah. dog d o g m e nine five dot dk dk, that is a tribute site to the original dogma site, which was taken down, I think, in ninety eight. Yeah. So or two thousand eight, actually. Okay. So, the, so in two thousand eight, that website that kind of was highlighting the dogma yeah. movement went away. Yeah, and then a tribute site has come up. But at that tribute site, you can read all these documents that we're talking about. And if you're a film buff and have not, you totally should. Yeah, it's a fascinating idea. Uh, but again, I think one that was partly yes, we want people to be sort of making these kind of uh-huh. films. Another, we want people to pay attention to these kind of films Great that marketing. we're already kind of making. Yeah. yeah, we want there to be known that like. These guys are smart. They went to film school. They learned about film movements. Mm-hmm. They knew about French New Wave. They knew about yeah. Italian neorealism. And they knew that, hey, if we kind of put our foot down and say Dogma 95, right. they didn't say Danish Dogma 95, but, you know, this so Dogma 95, can, sorry. it becomes a certain kind of, they said they didn't want it to be, but it becomes a brand. Sure. It's like, yeah. oh, hey, these are filmmakers doing a certain kind of storytelling. We should pay attention. We but need it to see also if this becomes an era. Yeah, uh, especially at this early level, mm-hmm. and so you've got Dogma ninety five now up there with French New Wave and New Hollywood as a time when a specific thing in film was emerging in a much more deliberate way. So, so this is the first official one. Yes. So, for that reason alone, you should probably see it as a landmark kind of situation. But. And if you liked another round, uh, Thomas Bo Larson. Thomas Bo Larson is in this, in a much less. <laughs> likable uh, which is funny because <laughs> I only I don't know I don't spend a lot of time watching Danish films I've seen a handful yeah um, but the only other film I had seen him in was Celebration so it was funny to see him play such a sympathetic character in another, in round. another round he's been game. in like 50 something movies yeah. he was in Vinterberg's movie that preceded this one yeah um, and he was in the hunt which was vinterberg and mickelson earlier in the 2010s like 2012 yeah. i think um but i mean to talk about him a little more i mean he <laughs> is reprehensible from the jump he kicks his fucking wife and kids out of the car yeah, oh yeah and makes them walk the rest of the way and to the yet, hotel and yet who ends up being the the voice of reason at the end of the film yeah, yeah. I mean, I that's mean, his the, character goes through this insane journey. Yeah, but 
I mean, you're right. There is like some absolutely bonkers, insane camera movement and cinematography in this movie, despite the actual quality of the image being fairly low. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I remember early in the film, there's this scene that kind of moves through these kind of cut outs in the banister yeah yeah that has this very striking effect uh look to it and i was like okay so we're doing that so and then, <laughs> well, but then a- but then like whenever they kick him out uh yeah a christian the son who yes. um once he makes the accusations saying this he over, makes accusations yeah. and he's really sticking to his story and yeah. making sure that you know like people hear him and he comes back in there's this shot of him where the camera's super low below him like mm-hmm. almost at his knees looking up at him and you just like track with him inside and you're like i mean if that isn't the most like this guy is on a fucking hell he's hell bent to like yeah. you know get this out there and like have people believe him like right. that is the visual representation of that emotional yeah. state in a masterful way so, so if we break it down a little bit, we, we, the title, we know we're going, there's some kind of celebration. And then you see at the beginning, uh, folks moving toward the, what eventually assembling we learned to be, yeah. assembling at the hotel. Uh, Michael, the the, the re- reprehensible youngest brother. Mm-hmm. Who he, wasn't invited? Right. Well, yes, because he had made a scene at the last party. At the yeah. previous yeah, party right. and wasn't you know, welcome, but he right. is initially told there's no rooms for him. Yeah. But what we learn about this family is that they're all reprehensible <laughs> in some way or another, not all, but most, and that they turn a blind eye to bad behavior. This family does. Yeah. And not only the family, but the guests. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we set that bad behavior up. You referenced it with Michael, the only one that we you know he's driving kicks his wife and I'm going to say it again the kids out of the car <laughs> three children so he can talk to his brother and then the wife accepts it and she but literally walks the way right she fights back I mean she's obviously not they happy fight. about no, it she's pissed yeah but, they fight but she does it just suck it up and walk right. to the place then we yeah. learn that Michael had some kind of issue at the last party and wasn't invited then we see Michael attack the new um Page the, the the main butler yeah yeah uh, the, con- or, or the uh, yeah concierge other, there the you concierge, go thanks yeah. uh, and we just see like this reprehensible human <laughs> but we see it we're blames not, his wife for everything we're not told yeah, oh, it. yeah. Yeah. And then we begin to learn the family dynamic, and there are three living siblings. We learn that um, one has just died. Christians, the the man that makes the accusations, sister has recently committed suicide. Twin, yes. Linda, they were twins. It's it's not really confirmed. A lot or of expli- information explicitly stated she's committed suicide at first. You just at first they're just like, oh, your sister's Her funeral, death, funeral, you know, yes. uh, which kind of comes out of nowhere to the point. Mm-hmm. Like Kylie sat down and started watching it within the first ten minutes and was like, funeral, what, what? Yeah. And I was like, hey, I'm just as confused about that as you are right now. This is the first time hearing about it, you know, because yeah. they just kind of casually bring it up. Right. Um, and then, and, I, and then I imagine if I had been sitting there, you would have gone. And by the way, they shot it with a fucking consumer TV camera. <laughs> I didn't. Oh my god. <laughs> I didn't look that up until after the fact, and then I saw exactly what camera it was. Googled that camera, and I was like, holy shit, that's insane. Uh, yeah. but, but yeah, so you find out about that. Um, by the time the living sister checks into her room and tells the concierge like, oh, this is where it happened in the bathroom. The fact that somebody died in a bathtub gives you a pretty good indication of what happened, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then, so there are all these people showing up and 
Michael's a fucking dick and he's yelling at his wife about everything. Well, you think he's going to be the problem, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, he's the volatile element. He's the one who's not welcome. He's the one who's treating everybody poorly. He's the one who's had a relationship with one of the staff that mm-hmm. seems not fully resolved. Mm-hmm. Not there, remotely. There are so many things that are like planting the seed that, oh, this is about the crazy son who's out of control and yeah. he's going to ruin his dad's party. But, but he no. is the one <laughs> attempting to keep it together. Well, after, after, he, after he beats his mistress, after he <laughs> throwing cash at her. Yeah. And, after after he yells at his wife for because he slipped in the shower, uh, and, because and then they have somewhat the questionable right sex after after that. Yeah, uh, they have a thing going on. And then two. yeah, and then after you know, well, I guess in the midst of him trying to save the party, you find out that he's just an overt racist. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. And meanwhile. You know. Meanwhile, Christian at, at this point, not only are they turning a blind eye to bad behavior, but he is actively well, it's suppressing like, it. It's almost like they set up like, how could we make the absolute worst character possible that still is redeemable because there's a character that's gone even further right. into a worse area that we're even more irate about as a society that we're willing to go with this guy over. I mean, it it is kind of this funny like He's a philanderer. He is a misogynist. He's a racist. racist. Again, an, He's over, a, an overt racist begins yeah. oh, to no. sing and, a and, racist I mean, song. Everything. And yet he is ultimately, like I said, they let him be the voice of reason or the authority that the new patriarch of the family. Well, in this family, anything goes. Uh, he, actually, that is a good point. I didn't quite frame it that way. But at the end of it, he is positioning himself as the new leader. He's the, the one who expels his dad. Yeah, right? he's the one I mean, that's like, you have So to let's, leave. let's be out. I mean, I, we've well, kind of danced okay, around Do you mind if I the, set it up? Sure. The father takes Christian, the eldest son, and says, "Can when it's time to make toasts, will you make a toast about your sister who recently passed away? We learned to commit suicide. He's and like, he I says, I'll just gonna, something. Because I'll just blub, I'll just blubber if, if I do yeah. it. The dad, and yeah. The dad yeah, says the dad to the son. So we don't know and much Christian's about the family dynamics outside of that Michael, the youngest son's the is a freaking is a, asshole. Right, yeah. is a train wreck. What but we, Christian, who seems more calm, we learn that he's successful. Very. Uh, you know, gives the little... Foley action for you. There, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, I appreciate it. Lots of that in the film. There's lots, <laughs> lots, of, <laughs> lots of that. Yeah. Dad raped me and my sister for years and years and years. But uh, When we were children. Pretty... It's pretty detailed, the exact like practice yeah, right. and execution of it. And also, I feel like, in a very literary way, is juxtaposed with the fact that his dad was using the guise of, oh, I'm going to take a bath. Yeah. Uh, but then instead yeah. of taking a bath, would do this instead. Then Christian, an, Christian exits, and then the guests sit there and justify away the idea that we have just heard this news. Well, dismiss like oh he's he's, he's emotionally crazy. Cr- I mean, right? He's got, yeah, we all in the room know what the sister recently did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So then Christian comes back to clarify a couple of things. <laughs> yeah. Right. When mom gets up and says, "Christian, we know that you're yeah. confused and troubled or upset, but I think that you should get up and apologize." He goes, "No, mom, you walked in and saw blah 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 blah." Yeah. And again, detailed. Uh-huh. Graphic, right? Yeah, like you Troubling. are the, you are the witness. Thanks, mom, for protecting your children. Mm-hmm. And then is drug out at that point mm-hmm. and beat. Then he comes back to clarify a couple more things, and it just is this onslaught of. Oh, and then by the way, the cook who has been with the family all along 
instructs the, the staff to hide everyone's car keys <laughs> so that no one leave. can yes, escape. Because right, right. today is Michael's day to do what I know Christian's needed. To, Christians, yeah, yeah, you're right. Christian is going to has confronted his father, right? Because yeah. this, and is, this a is a secret that his time friend, he, their friends. Christian has confided in They've him. They've been friends for a long time. They, he knows this, and and the cook has clearly been waiting for this yeah. moment where Christian was finally bold enough to be able to confront his father about and, it. And, you know, again, in celebration of the working class, they turn against him quicker than anybody else does. It's the staff who's like, the first people to really take a defiant stance of like, fuck you, Helga. Yeah. Like, yeah. You fucking prick. You know, he's like trying to get more, uh, he's trying to get some wine yeah. for H- Helen or Helena. I don't know how you would say it, but it's spelled Helen. Helene. Helene. Yeah. 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 And they just are like, fuck you and don't do it. And yeah. he like gets irate about it or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That shit was crazy. The con- conspiring with the, um, uh, with the cook. Yeah. It was a nice touch. And then at one point, and I fucking loved this moment, one of the guys, so Michael gets help from two people to drag Christian out and beat him and, <laughs> and then subsequently tie him, him, to, yeah, a tie him tree. to a tree. Yeah. Uh, and one of those guys comes in to the kitchen, like looking for Christian or, or Michael or somebody. Uh, and Kim, the cook, just fucking locks him in the pantry and yeah. just walks away. And I was like, yes, bitch. That shit was tight. Uh, but, yeah, the, I mean. And it, well, and, and the only thing that ultimately, and, and no matter how much Christian says, that's never enough. Oh, oh, oh it's the, time to go to the parlor and let's do some dancing. Right, yeah. right. I mean, you know. They're, the they're willing, to, they're willing to cover it up over and over and over yeah. again yeah. until finally this uh, suicide note is essentially found through, you know, initially the sister, but it, whatever, it gets right. read to everybody, and finally the pieces come into focus Confirm. where it's like, listen, this this girl killed herself, or this woman killed herself over what was done. Here's her brother, her twin brother, who was also, I mean, it, it's it's irrefutable at that point, and the father essentially admits then uh, that and he doesn't just admit; he says some of the most abhorrent. Why things did that anybody you do this to me? Says in this yeah. film, that's the only thing you were good for. Well, yes, that, oh. the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was intense. Yeah, when he said that. Yeah. Like, he, I mean, because, but that's, I mean, that's all he says. Like he gives like a monologue before that about what it's like to have talentless, good for nothing children yeah. and blah, 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 blah. And then he says that and walks out. Mm-hmm. And at that point it's like, dude, what do you think is the rest of this? Is, how do you think the rest of this is going to go for you? You know? And then that's when, after having drug his brother out several times, after having beaten his brother, mm-hmm. that's when Michael finally. To keep it hush hush. To, to keep right. it hush hush. That's let's when he finally has his turning point of. You know that moment kind of breaks him, and eventually, and he begins drinking heavily, and then he goes and finds his dad and kicks <laughs> right. the shit because he had been dad. keeping off the alcohol. Interesting <laughs> how alcohol works for these yeah. films. <laughs> well, because he didn't. I mean, he didn't want to repeat last year no, with the schnapps, right. and then you're he right. acted up. But yeah. then he gets drunk and beats the shit out of his dad. Beats his dad, and, berates him, yeah. tells him that he's no longer part of the family. Yeah, and yeah. then what a fucking crazy move for him to show up at breakfast the next day and just fucking sit down. Like, yeah. well, it was an interesting, it's an interesting speech that the dad attempts to give, right? Yeah. That, you know, like kind of essentially a farewell address. Like, 
I know I'll yeah. never see you, any of you again. When you because leave you're never again, gonna, right? Like it, w- once I you're here, you. this will be the last time I see you, and you know I just want you to, and and tries to kind of, I mean, whatever, leave it on like some sort of note. Well, I think he's trying to see, hey, can I get, can, can we I get just kind of cover this up one more time? Yeah. Kind of, it it feels that can way. Just put it this does, out of our minds, right? A little but bit that, but that's when Michael kind of delivers the final gr- great speech, Dad. Well done. Get the fuck out. You can leave yeah, now. You can we'll leave. never see you again. Yeah. And then and then he leaves and then they're all chilling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then and this again, like I, I spoke in the first part about my perspective, at least, or my interpretation of like the Danish sensibility to filmmaking and it having this everlasting trust in its audience and even challenging its audience at sometimes. Um the last shot particularly struck me. The very last shot of the film yeah. is looking up at Christian. Mm-hmm. And to me, the shot, its composition, the performance by the actor in that moment is almost a question. Does that make sense to you? What I'm getting at is that we're almost looking at this character and the character is, it seems, is almost even thinking like, was what I did worth, was doing, was all of this worth it? Did I make the right decision in... I, I didn't find that at all. I, I think know. he felt, he, I think he, that character finds his redemption when he asks the uh, girl the, that works there if he wants to move to Paris with her because they've always, you know... Yeah, yeah. ...been yeah. in friend love. I know, I... I and I'm not saying that it's I'm not saying it's about his redemption or whatever. It just he I don't know just the kind of he had a somewhat pensive expression on his face and I, and and I'm not saying I think that's what it was trying to say. But when yeah. I saw it, I was like, is he is the filmmaker in this instance trying to make us believe that the protagonist is now questioning all of these decisions that he just made? Or is he feeling uneasy about having done all of this? Yeah, I don't know. I, di- I didn't really get that. The last shot had an uneasiness to me. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, yeah. Well, and that fits with Why the Why start of, making it easy for us? Which is exactly the reason I had that thought is because the film is in... And anything but easy. I mean, mm-hmm. it is a very dark, challenging film. It does st- have an uptick at the end. And then I don't know, maybe it's a suspicion that I had where I was just like, mm, they're going to, are you fucking with me now? Are you, <laughs> you know, like, are you trying to, are you trying to ruin this nice bow mm-hmm. that you put on it? Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe that was just me that, that felt that way. But there was something about that last shot that kind of, I felt, stable until that moment hmm. until those few seconds and then i was like wait a second yeah that didn't it didn't strike me that way at all i i really enjoyed this movie very much oh it was great uh back to my question earlier about does the dogma 95 initiative serve or detract from the the story mm-hmm. that's here and I will only say that in the time capsule of what this film is and the idea that it's the first in a movement uh, that has many other interesting films within the movement, the idea that the movement did some kind of withdrawal when it you know, dropped that website back uh, 12, mm-hmm. 13 years ago is interesting. Yeah. But the filmmaking... And the, the film quality, everything we discussed with the DV to 35 print is distracting, period. 
the uh, some of the focus elements of it are distracting because of the nature of those cameras. I had a camera very much just like that one, if not that one, once upon a time. Um, but not so much so that anything is taken away from a very bold, searing and purposely difficult set of you know facts that yeah. are laid before the audience. Yeah. But enjoyable all the same. There's a lot of humor in the film too and a lot of I mean, I mean just interesting business. Yeah. I mean I, I think I think this film does come across to me as a little bit of a time capsule mm-hmm. if only because you know what Carlos was talking about there's some great stuff that came along with this the idea of you know it was a, it was a period where a little bit differently, but this was around the same time that Blair Witch Project came out, and mm. there was this kind of visual, an acceptance of that kind of visual of the less uh, high grade, uh, you know, image, right? L- lower fidelity image that there were the. I don't want to get into rules and universe, but that's explained away in the Blair Witch Project. Right? No, I understand. You're bringing but- shade to the Blair Witch Project. We're going to have a problem. <laughs> I'm not, but I'm saying like visually it became part of the accepted language of cinema to have these slightly degraded images, more kinetic motion though. That was the the interesting, the trade-off is if you're willing to go with these lower quality images, that means that we can move the camera and the camera movement can become part of the sort of Mm -hmm. energy of the scene. And And it certainly is in this. And it's fun. It feels like we've retracted from that. And it's kind of funny because now the cameras are better and you could probably do more. But it does feel like people have pulled back a little bit from the experimentation of the late 90s, early 2000s with these kind of cameras. I'm thinking of these dogma films especially. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me watching this again, like how different that felt as we were going into this era, like, oh, cameras are going to be totally mobile and we'll be able Mm -hmm. to... and. I don't want it everywhere, every yeah. time, but I think there's some nice moments here where it does accentuate what's going on, and this is such when a... When it works. Yeah, th- yeah this, this is such a tumultuous kind of movie where there's yeah. all these like moments of like, whether it be like true outbursts or, you know, people just treating each other poorly where mm-hmm. the camera movement totally makes sense. It, yeah. it was fun to go back to this. I'm glad that we had this opportunity, and I think that you know, to answer Joe's question, I don't think Dogma 9 to 5 and its principles detract from this film at all. I I think, if anything, it helped to bring attention to it in a way that we're talking about it now, and I don't know that we would be mm-hmm. if it hadn't been part of that. Sure. Uh, I will say that Kylie didn't watch all of this with me, um, but she found it highly stressful. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's and not very, a pleasant and, movie. And yeah. very jarring, even before it got super unpleasant. Right. Like, I think that she fell asleep right after Christian's first speech, and then when she woke up, she was like, oh, I should get up and do something. I don't know what's going on anymore anyway, you know? Uh, You're like, pretty much the same thing. He's just making the speech over and over. <laughs> I, was <laughs> no, like, I, I was like, so far oh, the speech... Oh, a suicide is, note. I was oh. like, so far the speech has been made multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and... But she was like, <laughs> whenever we were watching, she was like, 
this is unsettling. <laughs> like you could tell she was having like a somewhat averse yeah. reaction, like a truly averse reaction. Well, that's to... funny because Aaron, when we were watching, it was like this reminds me so much of Carlos and Kylie's wedding. Like the chaotic nature of it. You well, mean the toast? Like everybody oh, was yeah. coming out. Like by the way, you know, Carlos and Kylie they hoodwinked me and milked me out of a thousand dollars last month. That yeah. oh man, I wish. <laughs> I mean, I had a thousand. I never heard you've kicked my dog during a wedding toast yeah. before. Uh, but yeah i i you know it's one of those things and you know we've 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 talked about films that fit this exact bill plenty of times in the past is this a party movie you'd put it on this is is this one of the classic kind of is hold on you know what (laughs) this could be a party movie (laughs) because of the visual because it's like dude is this like home movie you show were you out on a country estate with Uh your family man yes because for some reason you did what (laughs) (laughs) because for some reason everyone that i affiliate with all of a sudden is the broiest of bros yeah bro (laughs) this is a home movie bro I was talking more about Joe because uh, nobody would believe that you had this as a home movie. Your home movies would have looked better than this. <laughs> yeah. Our crowning achievement age. was Splatterman 1 and 2 and 3. Okay. Shot in eighth grade. The Holy Trilogy. On a camera that was years before this yeah, one. Okay. Yeah, okay. That, that look even worse. Um, yeah. No, but I... I was going to say, like 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 many films that we've talked about in the past, not necessarily party films, although actually maybe the Hollywood one fits this bill as well. If you're willing to go there with it, it's great. Mm-hmm. If you can't, if you really are the, can't get past the visual thing, if you need a nice glossy image, no. it's going to be, and yeah, you, you're and you need to the wrong podcast. Yeah. If, well, if, if, yeah. If, if, if something like Cloverfield bothers you with the shaky camera, if the oh, Blair yeah. Witch Project bothers you. If Dancer in the Dark, if you've seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then this one's going to be tough. But, but if you're willing to go there yeah. with it, there is so much here. If it's yeah. impo- and if it's important for and you, so as much I said earlier. And, and I think it underscores what we said in the first half. With like, I think Vinterberg is a director who loves working with great actors mm-hmm. and giving them these characters that they can really sink their teeth into. And obviously with Thomas Bo Larson, this kind of lifelong collaborator uh, of his, you know, letting him go into some dark and strange places with these characters and and do it really pretty, I mean, just, it, it's very impressive. Yeah. I mean, it makes me upset with myself that I haven't been better about seeing his films over the years because he has put out films consistently Ever since celebration and even before it, and I and it's until now him winning an Oscar that I finally this get around. This podcast to is good it. for putting more movies on my list. Yeah. Okay. So now, I brought you... now more of this stuff is gonna. I I, I want to see the hunt. I need to go back to Dance from the Dark. I never saw the idiots. I mean, there's a lot that yeah. I need to yeah get into. I brought each of you a goat ornament. You did uh, with a yes. beer. Uh, is that a goat? Yeah, it's a goat. A ram. Ram. Yeah. Um, the celebrator. It's a double Bach that's been brewed in the same fashion since the late 1800s out of Bavaria. And it follows that purity law, which means that there's just water, hops. yeast, hops, and grain. Mm-hmm. Right. Only four ingredients. So that's is it the celebrator that celebration deserves? This beer's very good. It is. It's. I mean, it, it's sad because I feel like Bach's Beer has gotten so removed from this. There's no fruit in this. There's no brownies. <laughs> no, no. I'm happy. This no is actually, donuts in it. This episode has been a wonderful return to the roots of beer. I yeah. mean, and like the, cinema. The, yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, I think there's there's something great about occasionally just getting back to a really nice 
clean lager, getting back to an traditional Bach, or in this case, a double Bach. Um, to me, it's sad that, you know, I, I've downgraded some of these styles, you know, like box, I don't tend to go after. Have you downgraded them uh, purposefully or is it downgrading because you're just pursuing other things? I think a bit of both. Okay. To be honest, I, I think part of it is familiarity. You know, when I moved to Texas, Shiner Bach was this yeah. kind of ubiquitous, like this is, the, it was exciting then to me because I didn't, where I came from in the Northeast, box weren't regular things that I saw everywhere. So I remember really enjoying that at the time, but it burns out. It's like, okay, but this, I don't need this every time I go out. And then it, then it kind of reverses. So being reintroduced occasionally and like, you know, but this is a really good style. And there's been some that I've had over the years. This is a solid beer, very enjoyable, dark, but not like roasty in the way that a stout is, more kind of sweet and caramel and, mm-hmm. you know, that, yeah. that kind of... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's a delicious beer. Totally stands up to uh, its reputation. Stands up to its reputation, and to me, I'd be happy celebrating almost any occasion with a bottle of this. It is much better than I anticipate. I'm or I'm enjoying it much more than I expected from what it's billed as. You know, a, a Bavarian double bock. I mean, sometimes all you need is those four ingredients. Yeah, it, it when they're used well, it comes out nice. It's good. I've got nothing to add to y'all's fantastic take on this beer. I might even go buy another four pack and keep it in the fridge. It, it's it's such a pretty bottle. Yeah, it's all, you know, it's, it's, it's got it's, the it's ornament the on it. It's I the mean, whole package. Me. Thank you, Joe. Thank well, you for bringing. Thank this. you for the Carlsberg. Yeah, it was. Well, great. thank you, Thomas Vinterberg, for, oh, for yes. giving us an excuse Woo, to look at. I, I mean, I, no failures tonight. No, no I, it, it. This this was great. It was great to get to revisit Dogma ninety five. It was great to get to see this film another round that is is getting all the acclaim that it deserves. Uh, Truly, you know, and and that more people need to see. So please, listeners, yeah. check it out. Uh, and unfortunately, the celebration might be kind of hard for you to find. Uh, we had to pass. Our, we had to pass a DVD around, but. Get on the Ebays, find a DVD copy of it, because that is also worth your time. Um, But we want to know, have you seen another round? Have you seen any of the other uh, international films? Is that what the category is called, right? Best International Uh, Best International. Have you seen any of those nominees? Have you seen The Celebration? What's your take on Dogma 95? And what are your take on some of the beers that we've had here tonight? You can weigh in on the conversation, by getting in touch with us on social media, we're on all of your favorite social media platforms: Twitter at oh, fuck me, uh, Twitter at, at Beer Movie Show, Instagram at Beer and a Movie, Facebook.com slash Beer and a Movie TX, Beer and a Movie t- uh, Beer and a Movie Podcast dot com. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, Apple Podcasts. Subscribing helps you be the first to know when we drop a new episode. But please leave us that five star rating; it helps us a lot in the algorithmic department. And leave a written review. I might review your review on the show someday. Uh, and also, check out the Patreon. A rare occurrence on this podcast where we got so into the beers and the movies that we didn't even remember to talk about the Patreon at any point in time or plug it or pimp it out. Um, but I'm going to be talking about a beer that I bought to pair with either of these films that we did not get to drink. Uh, and the story behind that process or my thought process behind it uh we're gonna drink it talk about it review it well we don't just talk about beers and movies on the patreon episodes we talk about all sorts of things 
That's only $5 a month. You get that bonus episode every single week. You can donate less if you like, but you're not going to get that bonus content. You can donate more if you really got it like that to help out the show and feel like you really did something good for the world, helping us uh, produce that bonus content. Um, again, another fantastic... Uh, Vinterbergian. Vinterbergian. <laughs> another... Uh, uh, fuck, what's a benchmark episode oh. in which other episodes will be measured against a beer and a movie? Until next time. There's this Norwegian philosopher and psychiatrist, Finn Skarderud. He thinks it's sensible to drink. He claims humans are born with a blood alcohol content that's 0.05% too low. His claim is that when you have 0.05% blood alcohol content, you're more relaxed and poised and musical. And open. Right, let's have another one. Oh.